nothing knows. Nothing knows. Nothing knows. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. Listen along as accomplished guests discuss success and failures during their journeys as entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. Bettering your position starts by learning from those who went before you. That learning experience can happen anywhere, in the car, at the beach, or on a treadmill. There are no excuses for where you end up in life. If you want something bigger, the time to take action is now. There is no better time in history to achieve success. The hosts, Brian and Stu, are both Marine Corps veterans who believe life is what you make it. Your place in life is determined by your decisions. If you want more information on the podcast, please check out the website at nothingowed.com. No BS stands for Nothing Owed with Brian and Stu. That's what you're going to get with the show. Are you ready? All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. As always, you're here with Stu and Brian. And today we have a special guest, uh, Mr. Bill Kiefer. Him and I got connected through a friend on LinkedIn. The general gist of our talk today is we want to cover networking and kind of the value of, of reaching out to people and just talking to people and tell them, telling them what you want to do. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to uh, introduce our guest, uh, Mr. Kiefer. So with that, I'm going to have him... Uh, start off, kind of give him, give a brief introduction of um, where he came from and his background, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into our, our topic. So with that, Bill, take it away, please. Great. Thanks, Brian. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and Stu. Um, I'm president and chief advisor of Kiefer and Associates Limited. It's an independent consulting advisory firm that focuses primarily on helping military veterans and current service members uh, make that career transition out to the big, bad, scary civilian commercial world. Um, I started this about two years ago, and I, I really started it uh, kind of as a passion piece. I am a for-profit, but it's, it's really something I've longed to do uh, for decades. Uh, prior to this, I spent 23 years in senior human resources and talent management leadership positions in large, complex global companies. Um, in the automotive and transportation uh, industries predominantly. Um, these are companies that had, um, the smallest one was $3 billion of top line revenue, uh, and the largest um, was about $10 billion. Um, my work there primarily dealt with the C-suite and understanding how to look at their business needs, their business strategies through the lens of talent. So it's looking at almost workforce planning, workforce development, say, if our strategy is to do X, do we have the right people with the right capabilities organized in the right, right ways to actually do what we said we're going to do? Along the way, I led the development and execution of a number of people-related processes, not the least of which was talent acquisition, leader development, so on and so forth. Prior to that 23-year stint, I did 12 years in active duty Army officer. I was a logistics officer by trade, spent most of my time out with light infantry divisions. Um, I did get selected to teach the officer advanced course at Fort Lee, Virginia, um, and um, got out in 1997. But that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm outside of Toledo, Ohio. I live in a little farm town. I work all around the world. I've had clients uh, with this in this position I've had clients in Baghdad, Belgium, San Diego, um, you name it. I've pretty much had clients all over the world. So it's a pleasure to be here. I look forward to chatting with you for a while. Yeah, likewise. That's, that's a lot to cover, uh, but that, that's great. If you don't mind, I, I'd kind of like to start with um, your transition out of the military and why you chose to leave uh, when you did. Uh, if, I, if I think I heard you right, you said you left the Army after about 12 years. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most people would probably stay in for the, or they would assume someone want, would want to stay in for the full 20 and, and get that retirement, but, but you chose not to. Do you, you mind talking about that? Yeah, no, I will. And, you know, it brings up a good point. Sometimes transition um, 
is by choice and sometimes transition is forced and sometimes the choice that you make to transition is based on factors that are outside of your control. Um, in my case, I was, uh, I was at, at Fort Lee teaching the officer advanced course, doing great. I uh, got picked up for promotion to 04 and uh, very shortly afterwards found out that my spouse uh, was filing for divorce and leaving. I had three young kids at the time and um, I had to make a decision. Am I going to complete a, a great career that I loved and quite frankly was pretty good at um, or am I going to have three young kids who know who their dad is? Um, so I really did some soul searching and I walked away from my career while I was on the promotion list. Now here I am 23 years nigh. Um, all three of my kids are uh, doing well. Um, so I had to make a career decision based on broader life circumstance. I didn't like it. I didn't want to have to make the choice, um, but I made the choice that was right for me and I had to look forward, look through, you know, there's a reason your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror, right? Right. Uh, my tendency was looking at rearview mirror and mourn what I lost. Um, and it took me a few years to get past that. But uh, had that not happened, I would not have wound up with a fantastic career that I wound up experiencing. So. Uh, that, that's good to hear. And that's, oddly enough, kind of similar to, uh, so one of the reasons I, I wanted to, to start a podcast like this, you know, I'm in a somewhat similar position and not to change the topic, but I, I just want to point out that I think no matter where you are and no matter, you know, what your circumstances are, sometimes things happen for a reason and mm -hmm. you may not, you may not know what that reason is up front. <laughs> and I've found that to be true in my own life, you know, especially today. If, if you are forced to separate from a career that you love or you're forced to change directions, you know, the reason for this podcast is the tools are out there. You know, the, the tools are out there to help you make that decision. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's better just go for it. You know, if, if there's something nagging at you, you know, your family, whatever it may be, just, just push forward, you know, reach out, reach out to people, reach out to people that are, you know, in a position where you want to be or, or where you want to go. Um, yeah. Brian, can I jump in there? Yeah, so please. this isn't directly tied to Bill's story. Bill's story was almost, you know, came to a fork in the road and had to make a decision, but this just happened to me on Friday. So I have, I'll just, I'll just say a warrant officer and leave it at that. Been in 13 years and was kind of on the fence of whether he wanted to stay in or not. And just on Friday, so two days ago, came in my office and just slid me his resignation package. I was like, Hey, I know we talked about this. I need you to sign this. That was a pretty significant thing, right? Just kind of yeah. tried to slide it by me. And so I said, hey, go go shut the door, you know, shut the door. Right. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. And, it, and as soon as he just sat down and I said, hey, man, 13 years, this is significant. Can you talk to me about, you know, where you came to this decision? And he just broke down crying. Right. So it was like when he tried to slide it to me, it was just like, hey, I need you to sign this. And it was like me hitting the brakes and saying, let's talk about it. And just I didn't, I didn't say anything more significant than that. But I guess that to your point, you know, 12, 13 years coming to these big decisions and he is just struggling with, he doesn't know if he's fulfilled, you know, he doesn't have a family. He doesn't know what he wants to do with the rest of his life. Seven years still seems like a daunting thing for him in the military. So a little bit of a different scenario, but just to your point, Brian, there are people all over the place that are struggling with, should I mitigate my risk and stay in for the retirement? If I'm not happy, I got all these life choices and you know, just asking one follow-up question had this guy break down in tears. And so I see it all the time. Yep. And, you know, it, it, we, we, we talk primarily in the military context here. This happens with civilian folks, too. And I will tell you that um, the assets that are available via TAP or whatever the various branches might call that transition assistance program in its own application um, far, far exceed what's available in the civilian world. Um, so I, I think for those folks that are in the military that are kind of struggling, um, work like this to help folks realize, um, you know, they have to make some choices and they, they can do this logically and think through it and they can deal with emotion and, and take this big, broad, heavy monster and actually chew this puppy one at a time, um, is important because I can tell you in the civilian world, most often 
um, you're notified and you're walked out and they send your stuff and at 10 minutes later, you're in your car going, what the hell happened? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've so, been in that position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a scary world, you know? Yeah, it's, it's tough. And, and you know, that's to kind of pile on that point, I guess, you know, at the time, at least when I got out of the Marine Corps, there was, you know, Marine for life, which I know is still around. Right. But the, uh, the point I want to make is there are a lot of services out there, but in my experience, what I found is that sometimes not every service is a good fit and you may not have the best of luck with a particular service, whichever one you use. But what I want to encourage everyone to do is if you do choose a service, whether it's Marine for life, or I know the army has a, a similar program and, right. and so on, but if, if something doesn't turn out the way that you expect it should, don't give up because there are hundreds, if not thousands of more opportunities out there. And, and that's really true of anything. If, if something doesn't go your way just once, don't give up. I mean, seriously, there, there are so, there's so much opportunity out there. You just have to keep trying. And like I said before, things happen for a reason. And if, if one of those programs doesn't work out for you, it's not, don't take it as a loss, take it as a learning experience and really sit back and say, okay, why didn't that work for me? Was it, mm -hmm. was it, I wasn't asking the right questions. Was it that the person on the other end just wasn't a good fit? And that, that's not, I don't mean that in a negative way because everybody has different specialties and everybody is looking for something different. So just keep trying because the, the more you try and the more you put yourself out there, the more luck you're going to have. A lot of times you don't realize that at the time, but it's a blessing. You know, it, it really is, you know, you kind of get pushed in a different direction and had you not gone in that separate direction that you hadn't even thought of, you may not have come across an opportunity. And, and that's been true for me at countless times. <laughs> and right, things, yeah. It's I've gotten laid off from jobs and, you know, almost fired from jobs, to be honest. And, at the time it was, it was soul crushing, you know, to, to get fired or to, you know, have one of those, well, if you don't quit, we're going to fire you. You know, I, I've had that speech before mm -hmm. and uh, you know, for as tough as that was, at least I can say in my personal experience, had I not been forced to make a change, I probably wouldn't be where I am today uh, right. only because you, you tend to get comfortable you tend to get complacent. So don't get discouraged. Is, well, and, 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 you know, different and challenging isn't inherently bad. And I think most folks, you know, most, uh, oh my God, old movie now, Wayne's World, right? There's a yep. line in there where, uh, was it Garth, I guess, for the character, because we fear change and he beats the hell out of some robotic hand, right? <laughs> yeah. That's true for most people. You know, we fear change, some folks more than others. Um, but that doesn't make it inherently bad. We fear it because we don't understand it. One of the things that I've found that military veterans uh, bring to the civilian commercial world to a much higher level than their civilian counterparts is agility, resilience, grit, if you will, the ability to be reflective, do the after action review, and to think before they act. You know, ready, aim, fire makes a difference. Um, you know, you don't pull the trigger until you know what the target is. Uh, and our military veterans tend as a, you know, generalization to be able to make decisions and good decisions very quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's the good side of approaching transition and career change and all that for our military veterans. The bad side is we're still human beings and we're scared of what we don't know. The basis of my work really focuses on culture gap uh, mm -hmm. differences between the military and the civilian world. And I imagine you're both are familiar with intelligence preparation of the battlefield, you know, to different degrees and different levels for different uh, organizations. We don't send folks out in the military until we've done a thorough preparation of the battlefield, uh, rigorous according to the situation on the ground, right? Then we get our folks ready for transition and we don't do anything, I call it the uh, uh, intelligence prep of the career field. TAP is a nice start, but it's tactical and transactional. Um, the world that most of our veterans are about to face um, is totally foreign, and they don't know what it is, and they don't know how to assess it, and that exacerbates the fear. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity here 
So I, I've got some questions on this and I, yes. I don't want to alienate our whole population, but so I've done some speaking to engagements about this and maybe I'll tie one of my YouTube videos to the website since we're on this topic specifically mm -hmm. with what you do. So my issue with the transition and I advocate for entrepreneurs because I'm heavily involved in that sphere. Let's mm -hmm. just use that entrepreneurs okay. there right now in the military is a stigma where you can't have a side hustle without kind of being viewed negatively, like you're not fully committed to your job. Right. And all of these transition programs start nine to six months from transition. It's once the military member plants the flag and says, I'm going to get out. But if I'm a second lieutenant or if I'm a staff sergeant and I have no end in sight, there doesn't seem to be a lot of engagement from outside organizations to help them build a base so that when they do go to get out, they don't have that culture shock, as you kind of described it. They have mechanisms in place that they've been growing and engaging and networking and doing. And so my problem with the whole system, and I, I liken it to college education. You know, when I came in 10 years ago, getting a higher level education was kind of frowned upon because it wasn't seen as a direct correlation or fighting capability. And it was seen as you were taking time away from your job. But now the script is flipped and it's almost like, enlisted have to get a bachelor's officers have to get a master's because they see the overall value of it. And I would submit there is an overall value of generating passive income or having some type of side hustle. And you don't have to wait until you get out to kind of engage some of these programs. And I don't think holistically we do a very good job. Yeah, no, and I, I understand your point and um, I've seen it. Um, so let's talk about that. Um, organizations, be it a military organization, be it a, a for-profit company, be it a nonprofit, um, they want people on the team that are committed to the mission, the purpose, the organizational objectives, right? And it kind of makes sense it, that they would have some uh, aversion to folks having another priority, because that's really what it becomes. I mean, you know, um, you want others to believe in your mission and think they're fully committed to it. The appearance, or I'm sorry, the uh, 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 taking on of a side hustle can give the appearance that you're not really fully committed. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you in the, the, the military, I get your point, um, even if you're transitioning out, um, but in the civilian world, there are oftentimes you have to, you, you've got to, as a condition of employment, you got to agree that you won't take any other job. If you're going to work here, you're going to work here and you're not going to do any, that's not in all cases, but it's far more common than I think a lot of our military veterans get out and think. Um, so I can logic through it, but especially for folks in career transition, military veterans, service members in, uh, facing career transition, it's a tremendous disservice, um, especially if the focus of the time away is how to better prepare them for life after the military. I mean, yeah. if it's just a side hustle because you got to make the rent, that's a different story. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really have the data right now because um, uh, I'm in my, you know, man cave office. Um, but the uptake rate, the allowance rate for uh, commanders to let people go through the transition assistance program is far less than I think anybody at TAP or at the you know uh, DOD level or DOL level would um, would like. And again, yeah. you can logic through it. I'm already short staff. We got a high op tempo. I need every well. I was going to use a, a metaphor here, but we need every uh, person on the ground um, uh, focused on the mission because we got stuff to do, and we're either just rolling off a deployment or we're getting ready for deployment. We had a new cycle of student, you know, whatever the mission is. Um, that's not uncommon in the civilian world too. Um, whereas a transitioning service member is looking at the longer term, um, you know, where's their life going to go? Where's their career going to go? Many of the folks around them, they're focused on today. We got to get this week's training mission, uh, accomplished. We got to get ready for next week's deployment. We got to get ready for next cycle, you know, whatever's next. It's a much more short-term perspective. And I will tell you that in my experience over the last, you know, 30-some years, that short-term immediate perspective that you see in the military is nothing compared to what you see in the civilian world, especially for organizations that are for-profit, publicly traded. 
if you have financial covenants you've got to hit, you best not be focused on anything other than optimizing your business to hit those financial covenants. This weekly production report, this month's financials, this quarterly uh, SEC filing. Um, so that short-term focus creates a tremendous amount of negative momentum that gets in the way of the good stuff that transitioning veterans are trying to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think the only difference I'll, I'll make between the civilian sector and the military sector is that longing for purpose that a military member once or at least had when they were in the military mm -hmm. and is now missing when they get out. And I think that correlates directly to the rising suicide rate. I mean, the suicide rate for veterans getting out is higher than it's ever been. Yes. Um, and so I go back to engaging them earlier and giving them some type of purpose outside of the military to help mitigate that steep drop for all the right reasons makes sense. And I don't know if it's a, if it's a direct correlation or, or if the, you know, the comparison between someone in the civilian world currently and a service member transitioning is necessarily the same thing. You know, that's a huge point. Um, and, and I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. One of the largest cultural gap issues for veterans coming into the civilian commercial world is the entirely different perspective on purpose. Um, and, you know, we all come out of the military, we're there for, with purpose, we're there for a mission, we want to contribute to something greater than ourselves. Uh, and then you come out to the civilian, and I went through it too. I mean, one of my first jobs coming out was um, with an air freight company. Uh, my very first position with them was a training manager for a thousand people. And it was like, we're kicking boxes, what's my purpose? I mean, really, that, that there's nothing exciting about that. Um, and I had to wrestle with what is my purpose? Um, and everybody does that. And I think um, if we can find some way to get the military, the various branches of the military, to invest over time, over the career, whether it's a one enlistment or a full, you know, 30 or 30 plus career, invest time to say someday this uniform's coming off. Here's some things to help you get over. Here's some typical challenges that people find. Here's some ways to counter those. Uh, so we don't have that uh, lacking sense of purpose or when it occurs, we don't have people that don't know what to do with it or how to handle it. And so we can at least attempt in that regard to help reduce the military veteran suicide rate and other issues, underemployment, unemployment, drug addiction, all these other issues. You know, there are a lot of good points here. Now, I wanted to ask something. What do you think has changed in the last few years? Because a lot of what you guys were talking about just then seems to be fairly recent. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I always think back to my grandparents and, you know, he, my grandfather served in the Navy. And I think back to some of these, you know, older veterans and they seem to be pretty content with you know, their service in the military, they got out, they got a job and, you know, they had a family and, and that was enough for them, you know? And I, I wonder, is, is it something, you know, special to the military or is it, is it society in general that is, is causing this, this anxiety and causing this animosity? Because I, I do see some parallels in, you know, the military service and the, the suicide rate in the, in the military and, and veterans and, you know, the anxiety rates and, you know, probably suicide rates in the, in the civilian side. So, you know, not to go too far off topic, but I, I wonder, I, I'd really like to know where this is coming from. And I'd like to hear your thoughts. Is it, I, I mean, do you think this is unique to the military or do you think this is a, a problem that's, you know, that most of society is facing just in, in slightly different ways? Um, boy, you guys don't take on small issues here, do you? Holy smokes. <laughs> um, good for you. Um, I think it's reflective of overall society. Um, I can't really put a finger on why is society becoming um, more anxious? I mean, you could talk about a whole lot of things. Technology has got us hyper-connected. There's this need for immediate response, immediate availability. Uh, to information. Um, there's a growing, um, my opinion, um, a growing sense of 
um, positioning to respond as opposed to positioning to understand first. People don't, as I think, they don't as much listen to understand first, they listen to react and respond. And I think that's a broad generalization on society. But I think also society is a little less forgiving. But I think relative to the veterans, if you think back to the World War II, the Korea, maybe not so much the Vietnam era because that had its own issues, um, a much higher percentage of the population served in the military. And what I think the number now is um, 7% of the American population from all ages served in the military. And the current enlistment rates are about 1% of the population. I think also we're seeing veterans as a general population that are operating for a, at a much higher op tempo for much longer periods of time than perhaps they did um, you know, back in the day. So fewer people are having a similar experience in current society. So our veterans come out and they come out to a world that is very different than the one they've spent their last four years, 30 years, you know, whether it's a first term enlistment or whatever. And they're coming into a world that's much less forgiving and much more focused on kind of, you know, barb at each other instead of communicating with each other. So anyways, my, my two cents. You know, it's, it, when you talk about the, the older veterans, um, it, it's, it brings up an interesting point because I think a lot of people that served in the military, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, a lot of them served in roles that were essentially bodies. You know, they, they had duties that were pretty menial, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they could make the argument that they didn't feel like they had a purpose, you know, in the, in the military. And a lot of those menial jobs in the military today have been replaced by um, civilian contractors. I tend to think what we're talking about goes a little deeper. And, and this kind of goes back to what Stu said. I wonder where you draw the line in that when you show people how many opportunities they have and you show people that there's so many different directions they can go, I wonder if that creates more anxiety than it helps. And my point, I think, where I'm, I wanted to get your opinion on is, do you think that someone who's transitioning from the military or transitioning careers, do you think it would be wise for someone to just pick a destination and say, this is where I want to end up? Because I think in today's world, I think the problem with, you know, transitioning out of the military and even in the civilian side of it is that people are bombarded every day by, you know, Instagram and Facebook and everything else. And they see everybody that has everything, you know, they have the cars, they have the vacations, they have everything. And I wonder if that is kind of creeping into the military too, where instead of only knowing about the military, only knowing about your service and saying, okay, I'm in the military, this is my duty and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. But now you're, it's, it's so easy to get distracted. You know, I wonder how useful it would be to, to kind of just eliminate as many of those distractions as, as you can. Do you think that's a part of it? Do you think that in a sense we have we have too much access to information. We have too many directions we can go, you know, and do you think that that's a cause of, um, you know, I, I hate to say suicides, but I, I personally, I think maybe it is, you know, I think maybe people are, they're too distracted and they get pulled in all these different directions and they're, they're just having a hard time focusing on what their personal mission is. I mean, is, am I totally off base or do you think I'm, you know, I'm onto something. No, I think you're spot on. And I've seen it over and over and over again. So you ever gone to the grocery store and you've gone down the breakfast cereal aisle? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a gazillion freaking choices. You know, you can have crunch berries and you can have fruit flavor. You can have whole wheat and you can have it frosted. You can have it by different manufacturers. You can have the generic stuff and you look at it. And I don't know about you, but I look at the thing. I, go, I don't know. I just want some cereal. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so the cereal aisle conundrum is, you know, commonly used example out here in the civilian commercial world. And people who have too many options often get crushed by the options. Because what happens is now we can do anything we want. 
but I don't know how to make the choice. Now, let's put that in the context of the military veteran. You've spent your entire military career, however long that was, having relatively few choices. You know, when you entered the military, you came in and said, well, I want to be a pick, a, pick an MOS or an AFSC or whatever branch you're in. And they go, okay, well, let's test and see if you're qualified to even apply for that. Then you go through all that and they said, well, you're not qualified for this, but you have this small choice of things that you're qualified to do. You don't have a serial aisle of choices. You're only qualified for these things. So you pick something and you go to training and then you make very few choices in your initial transition to the military. You kind of do what you're told. And then you get through training, your uh, uh, AIT, your B school, your officer uh, basic course, your warrant officer qualification, whatever it is. And now you're out to where am I going to go? Where's my first assignment? I think I, in my case, my first assignment, I want to go to Germany. It was 1985. I want to go to the Berlin Brigade because, you know, it's Cold War. They said, great, you're going to Light Infantry Division in Fort Ord, California. Where the hell's that? <laughs> so you don't have the conundrum of the serial aisle choices while you're in the military. So you don't have to figure out how to assess this world, limitless world. Yeah. That also comes with a bit of a safety net. I don't have to decide somebody else decides. So if it goes great, great. If it doesn't go well, it's not my fault. Guess what? Now you're out and every decision you make is yours to make. And the number of choices are incredibly broad. And you don't know what those choices mean because you haven't lived in the world. So the model I use when I coach individual veterans, the very first step I use is who are you and what do you bring into the party? I've got over 30 different criteria, topic areas that I ask them to put down your gut reaction, whatever it is at first. Do you want to work in a for-profit or a non-profit? Do you want to, is geography more important than the job career? Do you want to do something similar to your military career or something totally different? What's your life circumstance? What's your family circumstance? What are, not because I'm trying to push them to a particular answer, is to start getting something down on paper that says, I think this is what's important to me. The purpose of that exercise is to start our, and I do it with non-military veterans too, just other folks in career transition. You start to understand what your decision criteria really are. And when I built that model for that first step of our coaching work, I built it based on the questions that I've had clients over the years, either formally or informally, ask me throughout the job search and career transition thing. And a lot of times people get to the very end, they're, they're somehow landed on an offer for a job and they go, I don't know if that's really what I want to do. Ooh, great. So you're in a world of unlimited choices. You don't know what all those choices really mean you don't know the impact of those choices and you don't know how you define success, which is the second step of my project. Who are you? What are you bringing to the party? And then how do you define success? I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, years ago, I worked uh, informally as pro bono work with a young army uh, helicopter mechanic, avionics guy. And he wanted to come back home to Toledo, Ohio. He was getting out, had a great, you know, great couple of uh, years in and you know, married. He goes, I want to do helicopter repair because I'm good at it and I love it and I want to do it in Toledo, Ohio. I said, okay. I said, go f search jobs and find out how many are open. How many can you find in the Toledo, Ohio area? He came back and he goes, there aren't any. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> Apart from a couple of life flight, you know, air ambulance kind of things um, that are posted here, you know, for health and safety of the Northwest Ohio area. Um, there really isn't a big population of rotary wing aircraft. And I have no idea where they do the, the maintenance for those things. So I said, what's more important, geography or career field? And in his case, he decided, well, my family's here and I want to stay in Toledo. So we had to start talking about other career options. I start laying things out and with various possibilities because I didn't even know those jobs existed. Now that gets on to what I think one of the primary topics you want to talk to is the networking thing. He didn't bother networking early on. He just knew what he wanted to do and where and 
I don't know how to make the decision, so let's just go. And I didn't talk to anybody about how that might help. When we started talking, he goes, wow, this actually makes sense. I can't do the work I want to do if the work doesn't exist, huh? Maybe speaking to someone like you would actually be a huge benefit, you know, because you could actually kind of coach them and say, okay, you're still in the military. This is everything you have going for you. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not time to jump, jump ship yet. You know, maybe stick it out for a couple more years, maybe transition to a new MOS, you know, something like that. But I, I think the crux of 2020 is that there, there's so many choices out there, you know, and, and narrowing down that focus is, is hugely important. At least what, I mean, it is, it that. is. And you know, the, you know, the first two steps I talked about in the process, the coaching process I use, um, who are you, what do you bring to the party? How do you define success? The next step is what do you know about your transition environment? And who's your network? Who do you know? What do you know about the industry that you think you want to be in? What about the job opportunities uh, broadly? And what about the job opportunities in the geography where you plan to go? And and you're on to a great point. Um, I've talked to a number of folks who have been wanting to transition. They've been planning to transition out later this year, early next year. And I caution them. I said, you know, really think about what you're wanting to do. This may not be the best time to get out. You know, arguably the economy is pretty darn tough right now. There's a lot of uncertainty and, you know, some folks don't have a choice. They have to get out when they get out. They're timed out or, you know, for whatever reason. Um, in the civilian world, you get reorganized out, you're out. You don't have any choice. But if you have a choice to make about when do you want to transition, you really have not only need to have an idea of what you want to do and where you want to do it, you better understand what that uh, uh, transition environment looks like and what that work environment is going to look like. Is the economy such that you're going to be able to land a job? Now, people are always hiring. And what we see now is while organizations are laying off and restructuring, they're also hiring because they're taking this time to upgrade talent. But you don't understand how that works as a military veteran unless you've got some kind of connection to people who have yes. lived in the civilian world and you've talked to folks and go, you know what, I pick an industry, I don't know, automotive manufacturing. Um, there is a ongoing and persistent need for skilled trades folks. Folks that can be plant maintenance managers, folks that understand basic technology stuff of, you know, mechanical maintenance, HVAC, that kind of stuff, and can lead teams of skilled and other laborers related to the maintenance of the facility. Um, if you happen to have been a, uh, uh, in an MOS or an AFSC that's related to that, are you looking? Are you interested? Um, but it, it, or are you just going, you know, I don't know what I want to do and I don't know what the economy is. So I'm just going to, go apply to 400 things online and hope something works. That's the kind of thing that networking and attending to your transition early. And, you know, that's what I do. You know, that's what, you know, coaches do, uh, transition advisors. So you don't spend a whole lot of time spinning your wheels. So your activity is actually value added to get you somewhere that you're going to be satisfied with down line. You and I got connected um, actually through, through Veterati, which is mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. really useful tool mm-hmm. that anyone's not familiar with. Um, essentially there are career professionals on that site that offer their time, uh, free of charge to, uh, veterans and transitioning, uh, military members. Hey Brian, uh, I know we didn't talk about this, but I'm, a, I'm actually a mentor on Veterati. Oh. I've, uh, I've sat down with probably three or four guys and gals in my local area. So, yeah, out of left field, but yeah, I, I am familiar with it as well. And I actually do some <laughs> mentorship through that program. Okay. Well then you're more qualified to talk about this than I am. I didn't even know that. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. I should have done my research, <laughs> but uh, in any case, you know, I, I've had good success on, on LinkedIn and, and obviously, you know, Veterati and those are two resources that are absolutely free. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for anyone that's out there, like, like we've been talking about, um, go out there and talk to people. And what's interesting is I didn't even 
meet with Bill initially on Veterati, it was a connection through um, Craig Weldon, who I had reached out to on Veterati. And he said, hey, you know, I don't know if, if I'm the best person for you, but I think I know someone who might be. And he connected me to, to Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the kind of things that we're talking about in that you just have to put yourself out there. You have to put yourself out there amongst people who are where you want to go, you know, or doing what you want to do, because it's going to do two things. It, one, it's going to either reinforce your belief that you're going the right direction, or, you know, kind of like Bill said, you know, some industries are, are laying off people, um, which may not be, you know, real obvious. Um, and it may kind of serve as a warning say, hey, you know, I was interested in this particular field, but, you know, I didn't know that the plant where I wanted to work is going to be closing down in six months, you know, and, and that's the value in, in these tools, you know, for, for anyone that's out there that is kind of lost, I would say, just start there, start with Veterati, start, start with LinkedIn, um, you know, and on LinkedIn, you definitely want to refine your profile because your profile is the first thing that, that people see. So maybe before you start reaching out to people, spend a little bit of time and, you know, get a nice picture on your LinkedIn profile. Um, you know, check for spelling errors, you know, make sure that it's, it's clean and presentable because it's very easy on something like LinkedIn for someone just to look at your profile and say, I see typos. I don't see a picture. I don't see a resume. I don't even know who this guy is. He didn't put that much time and effort into his profile. So I'm going to move on to someone else who maybe cares a little more. And that may not be true, but that's the first impression that people get. So yeah, I'd like to share a little, share a little bit on that one. Um, one of the things that I, I'm actually writing a book um, in my, my career battlefield that actually has three phases. Um, the, 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 the career you're in now, that helps the basis is the launch pad for what you're going to do. Then there's the transition phase in between. And it's got new players and new process that you have to get familiar with. And then on the far right, the third and final phase is the talent acquisition phase, the actual process by which employers go about getting jobs. And there's a lot of meat, but relevant to what you were saying, um, you know how long a recruiter, a sourcer, a hiring manager, an HR person takes to make a decision? How much time does your resume or your LinkedIn profile get on a first look? Got any any guesses? I would probably say two seconds. (laughs) Six to do it on average, six to 13 seconds. Holy crap. On average. Now, that's not because they don't care. That's because many times the opportunities, I'm sorry, the openings um, are many. They're trying to fill a lot of openings. And the volume of applicants or interested parties can range from dozens to hundreds or thousands, depending on the kinds of jobs. These folks don't have time to be sitting there going, well, that was a typo, but I really think the content's good, therefore. (laughs) The perspective oftentimes for folks that are in the hiring side, the employer side of things, at this early stage of the uh, courtship, you'll say, is to screen people out. And you can screen people out really easy by looking for things that you brought up. There's no picture, what's he hiding? Done, I don't need to ask any more questions, I don't need to look. The picture shows him drinking beer on a boat at, you know, some <laughs> inland lake somewhere. He's not focused on work. He's out. Um, there's typos. The headline doesn't see what I, doesn't read what I want to see. Um, so six to 13 seconds. So why is that important to someone in search? It's important because if you don't know what you want to do, at least to a cursory level, you won't know how to present yourself to folks that are offering opportunities that you seek. Does that make sense? So, Stu, I think I cut you off and I apologize. I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience uh, doing the Veterati uh, coaching. Yeah, no, I just, uh, you know, we've been kind of dance, dancing all around it. Uh, networking is just something that's very important. So when I first got started with one of my small companies, the Perfect Ribbon, it was a friend that put me in contact with a CEO who put me in front of a purchaser who put me in front, I'm sorry, he put me in front of the innovation department who put me in front of the purchaser who got me into the store. And then, you know, from the store, we had success and grew globally. So the point of that story is 
it's usually, you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon and, and how you treat and interact with each one of those people along the way leads to success or not success. And so I go to every networking event. I take all these meetings through these different organizations. Veterati is just one of them. I try to work with everyone, help everyone. And oftentimes these people that I'm helping end up helping me. And so it's not completely selfless. Um, you know, you figure out at a certain point if continuing to gauge is worth your time. So I'm protective of my time and I don't take every meeting, but I do try to get out there on the beat. And I, I said, when you asked the question, two seconds, just because I think there is, um, you know, if you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, you know, the, the thin slicing in the front oftentimes is as accurate as all the detailed information that you gather on the backside. Sometimes you don't even fully understand the thin slicing that you do in the beginning, but exactly right. You're oftentimes weeding out what you don't want. And, you know, military is having a big conversation about this right now too, because for promotion boards, currently the Marine Corps still has promotion pictures and the Navy just did away with it. I think the Air Force already did away with it. The SecDef said it needs to go away for a lot of different reasons, but uh, absolutely that thin slicing occurs with everyone. And I think I said two seconds just because, I read somewhere in a first impression, that's the window in which someone essentially sizes you up and makes impressions, whether you've been consciously or subconsciously. Yes. Yes. No, I 100% agree with that. You know, you brought up a really good point about um, networking and job search. A very good friend of mine and a great mentor, um, he said, you know, it's great to be a go-getter, but it's better to be a go-giver. And I've seen this, I've been around the transition world as a transitioning person myself or one who is um, trying to help coach and advise folks through transition. There are people out in the world that want to help. They really do. Now there's folks that don't also, but the vast majority of the folks that you're going to encounter are willing to help you, but you got to help them help you. The old Jerry Maguire line, you know, help me help you. And then someday we'll show you the money. Um, if you can't articulate, if you can't make contact with somebody and really connect with them, have a discussion, and if you can't articulate what it is you're looking to do, they don't know how to help you. Now, that brings up a whole other issue of how do you create a connection? You create a connection because somebody feels compelled to spend time with you. People spend time with those folks this may sound a little cold, that they perceive find, uh, offer some value to them. So there are many people that I've dealt with over the years. I met them and you know what, there was absolutely nothing that they brought to the table that could help me either in my personal search or the development of my business or whatever. But I continued to give. I continued to help. But you know what, I'm here for them. If they ask, I'm going to help. Because giving more gets you more in the networking world. It's really um, a a virtuous cycle. You know, if you come at this self-serving and it's all about me, and I'm sure you've all seen them in the military and in the civilian world, those folks that are in your sphere that are all about them, do you really want to help them much? Yeah, absolutely. And and to Brian's point, I mean, he didn't even seek you out at the beginning. Someone referred him to you that I would, you know, I don't know anything about the situation, but I'd submit that's because you've gone out of your way to help people. And so that usually the universe finds a way to give back. And I, I completely subscribe to that too. You know, that you want to try and help people, but you know, as soon people can pick up on someone that's out for themselves. Yeah. Uh, people have just an innate ability to sniff that selfish behavior and most times that just leads to a dead end and, and so you you got to figure that out and kind of rid that from your from your actions and vocabulary yeah now the other side of that is um, while you have to be a net giver you also have to understand what you need and you got to be uh, uh, clear enough and willing to accept uh, the help when it comes um, so you know, I oftentimes, well, let me, let, let's go way back. Do you mind if I kind of pivot a little bit here, Brian? No, go ahead, please. What is networking? How do you define it? Networking is establishing connections. I'll leave it at that. Establishing connections. Okay. Any other thoughts? 
I would say, it, yeah, it's establishing connections, but I would take a step further saying that it's establishing connections between people you meet and the people that know the people that you know. So you're not necessarily meet, you're not looking to meet the people face to face. You want to meet the people that know the people that you just met and yep. it kind of grows exponentially from there. Okay. Yeah. So well, some of the organizations that I'm involved in define it as an ecosystem. Okay. Um, so they're the events that you go to, once you go to it and you begin networking, you're part of that ecosystem. Ultimately, what they're implying there is, is you network to become involved in a piece of something larger that can benefit you and the system. Those are all really good definitions and they're all accurate. The one that works best for me, I've, I heard it years ago when I was in transition, is that networking is a conversation with a purpose. Like Anything other than that is just chit chat. So let's say you're going to go out to uh, a bar, a restaurant, a club, whatever, go to the golf course, wherever you're going to go, and you're going to hang out and you're just going to chat with people because, you know, it's a social day. There's no real, well, let's say you're going out and you're in job search. You could have that same conversation. And at the end of the night, you haven't networked with anybody. You had some nice conversation, but you didn't advance your purpose. If you're going out there, to create a connection, to create a contact, and I want to talk about that scale too, um, create a connection with people for the purpose of helping you land somewhere, you approach it a little bit differently. So the one other thing, and there's all kinds of techniques we can get into, and this is part of what I help coach people on, it, but what's really worked for me is networking is a conversation with a purpose. So when you're going to an event for the purpose of networking, before you get in the car or on the bus or however you get there, figure out what's my purpose today. Not what's my, not what's my plan of action. I want to meet seven people from these industries. Those, that's important. What's my purpose today? And your purpose might be to be able to, it, and when you really start, my purpose might be just to get over shaking somebody's hand, shaking a stranger's hand. My purpose might be today to practice my elevator pitch. My yeah. purpose today might be to meet somebody that can introduce me to the aerospace industry. Bill, yeah. I wasn't with you on your definition until you just qualified it there, because I'll tell you a lot of times I go into these events and I don't have a specific goal uh, other than maybe uh, spreading word of my brand and mm -hmm. figuring out how I can help other people. But even there, there is somewhat of a purpose. Um, right. And so, so I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it works for me. You know, everybody uh, defines things a little bit differently, um, but that works for me. And that's one of the ways I try to help coach people. I'd like to talk a little bit about what's a contact and what's a connection and all that. Right. Cause I think LinkedIn has done a disservice the way it titled the connections. So have you ever ridden on a subway in Hong Kong? I have not. No, I, have uh, I actually have, believe it or not. Awesome. Yeah. I've done dozen, probably a dozen trips to Asia. Um, and if you've been in any major city, I've, I've found it most notably in Asia. When you're waiting to get on the subway, you're going to bump into a whole lot of people, right? The sense of personal space sometimes tends to be different. And you're going to tussle and bounce and bump, bump into and have contact with a lot of people, right? It's kind of like going on LinkedIn you can open the door and you have contact available to kind of the world, right? The gazillion people that are on LinkedIn. You're not truly connected to anybody you bumped in with, bumped into on the subway though, are you? There's no connection. Yeah, but you can, the, once you get off the subway, you can't connect those people again. In terms of LinkedIn, when you're connected, you can shoot them a message and they might be a little bit more responsive. So if I, if I yes. push back on that. Well, no, and you're, you're I'm glad you added that because you're exactly making my point. It becomes a connection when you do something purposeful to create the connection, right? So this goes back to having the purpose. When you get to creating a connection, it's not just a contact. You went out to, the, to, to whatever the networking event, you happen to say hi to, to Fred or Sally or Joe. That they're not a connection yet. You have to do something follow up on LinkedIn 
take their business card, call them. You have to make conscious action to create a connection. So um, the next step then is to take that connection and create some kind of a relationship and a relationship that has a purpose and a purpose that is beneficial to both the participants. So you go from contact to connection to a relationship. And there's value all along the way. But to really get to a point where people can effectively and efficiently help you through um, your career transition, you want to build as many contacts, I'm sorry, connections first. And then you really want to start building relationships where you each know the value you're bringing and you're both able and willing to help out. In the case of Brian and I, we, we now have a relationship, right? First, we we're a, a contact. I just had a contact name from Craig. And then all of a sudden we made contact and we became a connection. And then we started having conversation. So there's benefit both ways here, right? At, the, ulti at the ultimate level, what you're trying to find is folks in your network, and this will never be most of your folks, it's a population that become advocates for you. These are the folks that are spreading your word. These are the folks that putting you in front of others, their second and third tier network, those folks that have the opportunity that are reaching out saying, you know what, Stu and Brian are the two best guys I've ever met for the opportunity that you have and I'd love to put you together. So contact, connection, relationship, advocate is a model that I see that has really um, helped folks create not just a Rolodex, not just a lot of numbers, but a value adding network that helps them get them on their way to success. Now, the one thing I want to ask is I know, Stu, you had mentioned and, and even Bill too, you said, you know, networking events. Um, you could apply this same principle to almost any gathering, correct? I mean, I, you know, everything you were talking about, I was envisioning, you know, even going to like just a wedding, for example, you know, I, that's not necessarily a networking event, but you could turn it into one. Spot on. Yeah. So let me give you an example. Um, last March, immediately pre-COVID, um, a, a lifelong friend of mine um, invited me to his daughter's wedding in Phoenix. So we go to Phoenix. We're kind of at the pre-wedding party thing the day before. And I met some young man uh, on the bus going from one venue to another. And he happens to be one of the business development guys for LinkedIn. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. We yeah. traded business cards and I'm thinking, okay, right away I'm going, okay, what, what's my purpose? What, what's my purpose? I say, hey, you know what? I, I'd like to learn more about how business development really happens for LinkedIn because I want to see if I can leverage that for my own business development. And we've carried on a number of great conversations, you know, through mostly through the phone and email and stuff. Right. But we're at a wedding. There would be no way I would have ever met this guy had it not been for going to the wedding. So everywhere you are is an opportunity to network. Question is, what's your purpose? And what are you going to do to actually network? So let's talk about how do we go about doing the networking. Um, good friend of mine, Herb Thompson, who's all over LinkedIn, wrote the book. Uh, God, he had a great book. Uh, Transition Mission. Uh, okay. Ex-Green Beret, former Army uh, Drill Sergeant of the Year. The guy's a rock star. Um, anyway, he had a post up a while ago about how he learned to network. And it was really kind of genius in its simplicity. When he knew he was going to do the career transition, he started talking with people that were in his world. Right. And once he got comfortable kind of trying to tell and deliver and develop and deliver that transition story for him, he shifted over to um, not just people in his world, but people that knew people in his world that one step away. And then he started talking to folks that were formerly in the world but are now working in the civilian world. And then eventually through all that, he was able to develop his story, to develop the language, 
So he was able to network in civilian language with civilian folks in the world that he intended to enter. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. You know, when, when job postings exist out there in whatever format, you know, online, hard copy, wherever you find them, um, what those are, are a list of asks that the employer is making of the employment market. We have an opening for a project manager, I don't know. And the duties, responsibilities, and expectations for somebody of this role is, you know, A, B, C, and one, two, three. They're giving you a list of things that they're asking for. Now, whether you're a military veteran or not, anybody that's a candidate and interested in that job, to be the top candidate, you have to answer every one of those asks the best of your ability. You know, it's really simple. Um, do you know what employers um, are really looking for when they're hiring, when they're considering somebody to hire? There's only two things. Qualified candidate? Yes. And it's a qualified candidate, one, that they believe has a high likelihood of being able to actually do the work they need done. And two, that they believe has the highest probability of fitting in well with the team or adding value to the team, right? So can you do the work I need done and are you gonna fit on the team? That's it. Everything else are context and methods to get to answers to those two questions. So military veterans need to understand how to, well, everybody does, but especially for military veterans, you got to be able to tell your story in a language that the employers understand so they can go, I know how Stu is going to be the best qualified to do the work, and I know how Stu is going to be the best fit on our team. Yeah, that's a good point. Your competition for the jobs is not just other military veterans. It's civilian folks who have spent their careers in the civilian culture, speaking that civilian language. So one of the things I see with many military veterans or active service members that are coming up on transition is they don't have enough appreciation of just how important it is to answer those two key employer questions in a language that lands well on the employer ear. Do you think an employer would rather have someone who fits in the team but can be trained or would they rather have someone that's more technical and maybe doesn't fit in as well? The real answer is it depends on the employer. Okay. In all cases, the optimal is to have both. Right. But if they have to choose one over the other, it depends on the nature of, quite frankly, the leadership team. Now, oftentimes what will happen is if you pick the technical over the ability to fit in, you wind up with organizational problems later on down the road. Both you gentlemen are, you know, skilled and in, in, in experienced in, in, in organizations with great leadership. Uh, you know what I mean? If you get somebody that can do the work, but they don't fit, you're going to have organizational issues. But some, some companies, some hiring managers will make that decision um, either fully aware that it comes with risk or um, maybe not aware at all. Interesting. Bill, appreciate you coming on, brother. Yeah. You got uh, you got some plugs for your business that uh, you awesome. can shout out to the group. Awesome, yeah. You know, if you're a military veteran uh, currently serving and you, you're trying to figure out where you're going next and what you're going to do next, um, there's a lot of resources out there. There are very few resources that bring what I bring. My differentiator is I've been the guy that transitioned. I did it with a lot of pain, but I did it successfully. And not only have I spent the last 23 years in the civilian world, I spent the last 23 years in the civilian world leading, managing, and conducting talent-related activities. Said simply, I've got the insights from the other side of the desk. I and folks like me are the ones you got to get through to land in that job. I offer the insight before you get on the side of the desk and have to make that call. So um, I got a website out there, um, www.kiefer-associates.com. I'm assuming you're going to put it in the show notes or something. Oh, absolutely. 
yeah, I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to connect with me. Um, I do other work also. I work with businesses uh, to help them either set up or um, optimize their veteran hiring and employment strategies. Um, I do a fair amount of public speaking, um, and I'm a certified coach through Marshall Goldsmith, uh, who's one of the premier um, leadership coaches uh, in the world. So my approach is practical. I'm going to tell you what you need, um, and then I'm going to work with you to, to optimize your transition experience. So it's been a great, uh, great experience being here with you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. No time. And just for anyone out there, I, I, I spoke to Bill quite a bit before we, uh, we did this podcast and he, uh, he helped me on quite a few things. So I can, I can personally attest that, that Bill is, is a real deal. Um, so please, if, if you're a business or if you're a transitioning veteran or someone looking for a change, please give Bill a chance. Um, his, it's very, it's very much worth it. So please, uh, please reach out to him for, if you're looking for any kind of transition help, or like he said, you know, um, help hiring veterans. I, I, please give him your business. He, he's a good, good resource to have. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate that. Yeah. St anytime. Stu, nice to meet you, man. You too, brother. All right. I think that's a good place to end. So I'm going to sign us out here. Hope you all have a nice day. Um, and we will talk soon on our next episode. All right. Bye everybody.